Good morning and welcome to Convocation. We are the Peru SST group from this fall and we are excited to be back together as a group this morning to share our experiences with you. As a group, we experienced a lot of firsts. We were the first group from Goshen to go during the fall semester to Peru and we were also the first group for our leaders, Duane and Karen Stoltzfus and their daughters, Kate and Emily. This morning, we will be sharing with you a little bit about the history of Peru, as well as some of the experiences we had there, both in Lima and on service. For those of you who haven't been to Peru, we hope you learn something new. And for those of you who, have, who are going or have already been to Peru for SST, we hope this convo reminds you of your own experiences there. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I'm going to give you all a very short background on Peruvian history. In the pre-Hispanic era, Peru is best known for the Inca Empire. Even so, the region was also home to many other indigenous civilizations, including the Chavín, Baracas, Mochica, Huari, and Chimú. The Spaniards overthrew the Incas in 1533. For the next few centuries, Colonial history was marked by several indigenous uprisings, one of which was led by Tupac Amaru. His rebellion, like other episodes of indigenous insurgents, was brutally suppressed. Peru's criollos population, that is, Peruvians of Spanish heritage, declared their independence in 1821. They were able to drive out the Spanish troops by 1824. Later on in the 19th century, from 1879 to 1883, Peruvians fought the War of the Pacific with Chile. Peru was defeated in this war and ended up losing the provinces of Arica and Taracapá to the Chileans. And because of the War of the Pacific, Peruvians still have hard feelings toward their southern neighbor, as many of us had the opportunity to see during SST. In the mid-20th century, Peru went through a series of military coups. As a result of one of these, General Juan Velasco Alvarado rose to power. Velasco's dictatorship is remembered among the indigenous population because of his regime's attempt to distribute land among the peasantry. The country returned to democratic rule in 1979 with the presidency of Fernando Belaunde Terry. The 1980s were a decade of financial and social difficulties for the country. Inexperienced President Alan Garcia could not stop either the economy's hyperinflation or the increasing influence of Shining Path. Shining Path, or Sendero Luminoso in Spanish, is a terrorist organization which bases itself on communist principles. Alan Garcia was followed in office by Alberto Fujimori. Fujimori managed to capture Shining Path's founder, Abimael Guzman. Fujimori also stabilized the country's economy. His government, however, was also characterized by its corruption and the brutal methods that he used to root out Shining Path leaders. Since 2001, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has been working to collect testimonies from Peruvians who are affected by atrocities committed by the Peruvian government and Shining Path during the 1980s and 1990s. While our SST unit was in Peru, Fujimori was extradited from Chile 
so that he could stand trial for his regime's human rights abuses. Hi, I'm Kate Durstein. And I'm Haley Williamson. And we are going to give you a bit of an idea about um, typical Peruvian cuisine. So when you first think of Peruvian, uh, Peruvian cuisine, uh, most of the things that come to mind are chicken, rice, and potatoes. And uh, these were things that we found at uh, almost every meal. Um, whether you would have chicken, rice, and potatoes, you would have chicken, pasta, and potatoes, or beans and rice and potatoes. There was just a whole lot of rice and a whole lot of potatoes, and most of the time chicken. <laughs> um, and uh, some of us joked that after SST, we all came back with rice babies because we all had, um, so we'd eaten so much rice. Um, but probably the most famous dish of Peru is called arroz con pollo, which is uh, rice with chicken. And what it is, it's a combination of rice and um, rice and chicken. And the spices turn the rice kind of yellow. It's fairly, it's not uh, as spicy as some of the other dishes in Peru, and so it's fairly safe for um, foreigners or for people who haven't um, had as much uh, spicy food. Um, and one of uh, the funny stories that I had sort of relating to chicken um, Kate and I one day um, were uh, helping my host mom from service unload the groceries. And so the taxi was parked at the bottom of the hill and we had to carry the groceries up to the top of the hill um, into the kitchen. And so we were carrying bags and um, went back for sort of the last load. And uh, we grabbed one bag and there was one left. And then as we went to go pick it up, it moved suddenly. And we were a little concerned of what was in this bag that was moving. So we asked my host mom, and um, she calmly told us that, oh, it was, it was just a chicken. And she just picked up the bag and slung it over her shoulder, carried it all the way up to the kitchen, and of course we had chicken for supper. Um, another uh, well-known delicacy of Peru is ceviche. It's uh, raw fish, onion, and tomato that's served over a bed of lettuce. Um, and I guess I shouldn't say raw. It's not necessarily raw, but it's not cooked how we would see cooked. It's not fried or it's not baked. Um, instead, uh, a lot of lime juice is poured over the fish, and uh, the acidity of the lime juice cooks the fish um, so that it's not raw, but it has kind of a fishy taste. Um, another food that many of us got to experience is called anticucho, which um, means cow heart. And my family in Lima um, took me out to get anticucho both the night before I left for service and the night before um, uh, and my last night there before coming back to the United States. Um, and it's usually prepared like a shish kebab kind of um, uh, cooked over the fire and has really good flavoring. Um, the most memorable thing for me and for many of us probably would be eating kui, which is guinea pig. Um, and I had an interesting experience with eating guinea pig um, on service. It was my host dad's birthday, and so um, all of my family came over um, for dinner. And so as my host mom was serving us all, she gave me my plate, and there was something unrecognizable from the guinea pig that was on my plate. And so I was trying to figure out what it was, and so I just like casually flipped it over, and there was teeth sticking out of the bottom. So I realized that it was the head. And I watched everyone else start to eat their, start eating their food. And um, I was like, I wonder what's inside of this head. They probably didn't take anything out. So 
I was like, I don't really know that I'm going to eat this, um, but to, just to maintain a good appearance, I was going to eat some of the skin off of the top. Um, and as I pulled off some of the skin, the guinea pig's eyeball popped out. And at that moment, I determined that I was full. Hi, I'm William Thomas. And I'm Adrian Nesbitt. And we're going to give some sort of, um, I guess, a little bit of advice or just like things that we learned during our experience in Peru. Uh, don't expect your GC friends to write you letters because they won't. Also, if you think there's not enough sun in Goshen, you shouldn't expect to see much more in Lima. Don't get into an argument in Spanish over how many stomachs a cow has. And don't feel the need to correct all misconceptions about the United States. Don't expect any understanding of any food allergies. Give up your vegetarianism. Being funny in a second language is difficult, so once you've found one joke, use it over and over. <laughs> Smile and nod a lot. They'll know that you're trying really hard. Don't be afraid to be a gringo. It's one of the only times in your life when you will always be the center of attention. Learn to barter. If they say it's worth 20 bucks, it's probably worth about 12. You will be eating guinea pig, cow stomach, cow heart, and fried pig intestines. Deal with it. If you live in the mountains, climb them. Don't be too intimidated to make friends. They are excited to know you, even if they can't understand you. Don't be too afraid of the buses. They're a great way to get around. Go to the discotecas, enjoy Peruvian music, and dance, even if you can't. <laughs> Everyone will enjoy watching you, and you'll miss it when you leave. Go to the markets. Stuff is cheap, so buy a lot of it to send home. Don't even try to bring home a puppy. It's not allowed. Beware of the dogs. Three of us were bitten. When it comes time to leave, know that everyone in your life will ask you how soon you're going to return to Peru. Expect to learn that you really like the United States. Turn to your fellow SSTRs. They're the only ones who know what you're going through, and they need you too. Machu Picchu. Make friends with children. <laughs> Make friends with children. They share a similar vocabulary level. And most importantly, have a good attitude. Hello. My name is Whitney Phillips, and I'm going to share a little bit from a journal entry I did while I was on service on three strategies of how to be invisible on SST. Um, and if you think you've heard them before, like in the record, you haven't and you're crazy. So, Number one, stay in bed longer than your body needs to. This gives you plenty of time to fantasize about the solid stools that you probably are not having. <laughs> Sorry. And practice conjugating verbs in Spanish or your other SST language but you'll wind up homesick with a backache, and sorry to break it to you, but your family knows that you're in there, and you might as well come out. Tip number two is convince your host that the book you're reading is mandatory. My logic was not only to avoid my family, but to convince them that I was literate in at least one language, if not theirs. And I read some great books, and then I read Sarah Becker Hoover's great books, but it was far more rewarding to wash dishes with my host mother than to read a great book, so think about that. Number three is stop speaking at family meals and gatherings. Um, the objective in this is to become the child who is seen and not heard and not interfere with 
your host family's lives. But in reality, in my experience, I'm just lucky that my host family knew that my Spanish was awful instead of just thinking that I was being a jerk. Which draws me into my moral or conclusion. Um, if you have a service assignment like mine, you may really quickly decide that you're unqualified for the job that you've been given or that you have nothing to give to those who give a lot to you. But SST is actually a time to turn your ideas of service upside down. And your greatest service may actually be allowing yourself to need your family and allowing them to give to you. Trying to communicate your interest in the beauty of their lives and gracefully accepting, gracefully accepting their charity. But to do these services, you have to be willing to get out of bed and risk being visible. I'm Nelson Kling. I'm Asher Fast. As many of you know, there was a serious earthquake in Peru just before our fall SST group got down there. Asher and I both expressed a desire to work in the service assignment where we would be able to do physical labor and construction types of skills. We were both able to work with our leaders to find an assignment where we could work earthquake aid in a town that, we, that was close to the epicenter of the quake. Three hours south of Lima is the city of Chincha, a town that was severely affected by the earthquake. For our service project, we were down there for six weeks, and what our time consisted of was five or six hours in the morning of not actual construction, but deconstruction of houses. Because most of the houses in Chincha and buildings are made out of adobe brick, um, more than half the city was left homeless, and most of these buildings were damaged or completely destroyed. So we spent most of our time taking down adobe walls, which were dangerous, and taking down roofs. Uh, we cart off the adobe bricks and put them into piles, which government trucks would haul off every one or two weeks. And this was the fun part. Not too bad. Just kind of slinging bricks, nothing special. But uh, it was difficult when we had to break down cement walls one to two feet high, and we didn't even really have a makeshift sledgehammer. So sometimes we had to resort to primal tools, like using large rocks to break stuff. So <laughs> that was interesting. It was a little bit tiring, but we got through it. Five to six hours a day, and then we'd have some time to rest in the afternoon. And uh, we had the opportunity to not only help people um, out with their houses and um, do earthquake relief, but we also taught English class in the nighttime. The church community that we were a part of while we were in Chincha was very interested but accepting of us. And our first Sunday visit to church, we were asked if we would be attending an English class that was held on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evenings. We agreed and showed up to the classroom the following Monday, expecting to listen to the class and answer the occasional question. It didn't take long to realize that we were expected to teach the class and that somewhere along the line there had been some confusion. We managed to freestyle the first class pretty well, but from then on spent a lot of time preparing for the lessons for each session. Many of the students in our class were adults or people close to our age, and there were a wide range of abilities, but it was fun to see our lessons paying off as our students became more advanced. So we were able to donate some of our time helping, um, helping 
rebuild and deconstruct the houses, uh, make a little bit of impact with our time and use some of our services, but we were also able to donate uh, $1,000 to Alianza, the alliance or the church that we worked with. So we were able to do this, we were able to teach English as well, but uh, most importantly, um, just the fact that we were down there made a big difference to the community. They were so supporting and kind. Um, anything we would have done, they would have loved. And we probably got more out of it than they did, considering just how nice they were to us and how well they treated us. They treated us like family, uh, even better than their own families at times. So, uh, great experience that we were able to take away a lot. I'm David Kemp. And I'm Matt Yoder. For our service assignment, we went to the mountain town of Caras, north of Lima. During our six weeks there, we worked with David's host dad, Freddy. Freddy is a consultant to guinea pig farmers in the Callejón de Huaylas, the valley where we were located. He travels around to the remote villages and advises farmers on how to better raise their guinea pigs, or cuy. He also helps the farmers to form sellers associations so that they can market their cuis at higher prices. Now, cuis are very important to the Andean culture. They've been, uh, they've been raised for a couple thousand years in the region, and until about 20 years ago, they were specifically eaten in celebrations, um, but recently they gained a lot of popularity in both the mountain and the coastal region as an everyday food. Now, cuy farming, I bet you're all thinking, how is that a profitable venture? Why not raise cattle or pigs? You know, I did my project on that, and it turns out cooies are more profitable. They are not only less, they cost, they cost less to raise, they cost less to feed, they take up less space, they reproduce more quickly, really fast, <laughs> and they're even more nutritious. They're actually so nutritious that they're being raised in Africa nowadays to combat malnutrition. And I thought it was real interesting how, what I, what I discovered about these little, little cooies with not very much meat, how they can be so profitable and, um, such a good choice to raise. As part of our service assignment, we got to travel with Freddie on his visits to the Kui farmers. Often he would drop us off at the home of one of his local contacts and then would leave to make other visits or attend meetings. Our job was to visit members of the Kui Farmers Association and track their progress by recording the changes in their animals. Many of the people we visited were native Quechua speakers and in some cases their Spanish was even worse than ours. In the process of making these visits, we had a lot of interesting experiences and learned more than we ever thought we would about raising guinea pigs. On many of these visits, farmers would ask Freddy questions about how to, how to mejor sus crianzas, how to better their, their guinea, guinea pig farms. And, uh, well, they asked, how, how, why are my cuis dying? And if the answer wasn't simple, like, well, they're starving to death, or, well, they're freezing to death. Freddie would have to go in a little deeper. So on one of these trips, one of the farmers asked him, why are my cuis dying? Freddie pulled out a knife, took out one of the dead guinea, dead guinea pigs, slid a nice cut down, the, down lengthwise, jammed his thumbs in and cracked it open. It was very nice sound effects accompanying that. <laughs> he then proceeded to finger through the intestines and all the major organs, discovering that the intestines were hardened in certain places. It ended up being some kind of food problem. But uh, 
it was really an interesting moment, and I'm glad to have captured it forever. <laughs> but really, it was a great, really enriching experience, and I'm really glad to have been able to help there. After the autopsy, that farmer uh, served us guinea pig. Mm. Before we wrap things up, um, just to put a plug in, uh, for any of you who've been on SST uh, and those who haven't, it's, it's a big thing when you're coming home and you have a lot of mixed emotions. So there, is the S there are SST units coming back this week, so check your emails and be there to support them when they come back. Um, when you were coming in, you might have noticed you were playing a song, and the song is Color Esperanza by Diego Torres. And um, that song kind of grew to have a big, big significance to everyone in this group. We first learned it in our uh, Spanish classes in the city. And um, our teachers would use songs a lot to help us um, get like more fluency in our Spanish, kind of run things together. And um, one of the lyrics talks about leaving your fears at the door. And so we all could kind of connect with this song. And um, then when I went on service with Nathan uh, in Chimbote, we happened to be working with women who didn't have much hope in their lives. Um, they were abused. They um, were dealing with things that we couldn't ever comprehend. And um, we ended up getting to teach them this song and perform it with them and see their faces light up doing this music. So we'd like to share this song with you now. And we're all going to sing. And the words, I think, are going to be up there. And if you guys want to sing along, and then you're dismissed after the song.